But if you have your Bibles with you, uh, Titus chapter 2, please. We're going to look at some verses in there. Appreciate Bonnie's song. Uh, we're going to be talking this morning about how grace works on our behalf. Uh, not, not just in the past tense, but how grace works on our behalf. Uh, I want to stop and think about that today. I, I know we all love uh, the thought of grace. We, we love that. It's probably one of our favorite that we sing about. Grace, grace, grace. Amazing grace. We love to sing a great God's great grace. Grace that frees us from our sins. All those songs, all those thoughts, we just love grace. I hope you do if you're a child of God. Uh, when we talk about grace, you know, we use things like uh, God's unmerited favor. Uh, you know, we don't deserve it. Uh, I've heard also, and you probably know this one, grace, G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. So we, we love that truth. I ran across a definition this week I want to share with you out of a set of New Testament commentaries I have. And I really like it. It says, God's grace is his active favor. That's the part I like about it. His active favor bestowing the greatest gift upon those who deserve the greatest punishment. Isn't that a great definition of grace? And you know, we need to have a good concept of grace. And, and if you've been a Baptist for a long time or Christian, whatever, uh, you probably do because all the other religions in the world, they talk about merit, they talk about works, they talk about deserving, getting themselves acceptable to God. That's not grace. We are people of grace. But what I want you to consider with me out of this text today, and, and if, you'll, if you have your Bibles, if you'll follow with me, you can see how it comes right out of the Scripture, what we're talking about today concerning grace. And what I want you to pick up on is the two ways grace works on our behalf. Okay? Like that definition, the active favor of God. Two ways that grace works on our behalf, and then three tenses in which it works. Okay? I think you might even catch them as we read it. If not, I know you will when we go through, okay? So let's read Titus chapter 2, verse 11 uh, through 14. If you'd like to stand, please feel free to. <clears throat> it says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So, Lord, we come before you today with grateful hearts, thanking you for your goodness that you show us, thanking you for your grace. And Lord, I, you know each heart here this morning. You know the struggles that individuals are going through with finances or health or work, relationships. God, you're aware of each of them. And I just pray that, that you'll minister your grace in those situations. Lord, do you know those who are yours this morning? I pray that you'll strengthen us, that you'll challenge us, you'll encourage us. Father, that you'll just continue to conform us to the image of your Son, even as we gather here today, Lord, that you might do that work, that you might chip away some things in our life that we need to be rid of, that by your grace you might add something to our character, to our words that would bring honor and glory to you. 
But God, that your spirit would so work in our lives that fruit would be bore in our lives today as well as into eternity for your eternal glory. Thank you for this church family. Thank you for the love they have for one another, the love they have for this community, the love they have for this world. Thank you for the love that they have for you. And first, Lord, thank you for loving us with such a great love. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, we're talking about grace today. Two ways that grace is working on our behalf. One of the things I want you to notice as we get started on this, verse 11 through 14 that we just read, it's one sentence, okay? It's not broken up. It's one sentence. So that means there's really one topic that is being dealt with in this paragraph, okay? And the topic that is being dealt with in this paragraph is the grace of God. And he says something about this grace. He says this grace has appeared. In other words, it is not hidden from us. It is not a mystery. The grace of God has appeared. And that word simply means manifested. Sometimes it, it is the idea of the sun or the sunrise. Uh, I don't know how many of you guys hunt and camp and all that stuff. But I, I know one of the things that I really love about the outdoors is you're sitting there in the dark and maybe all by yourself, and you hear a twig break over there, and you kind of scoot over this way a little bit, you know, in the dark, because you really don't know what it is. But as you sit there, the sun begins to come up. And I know all of you have seen this, surely. The sun begins to come up. And what happens is the sun comes up, the darkness is dispelled. And not only is the darkness dispelled, but birds begin to flutter around, and birds begin to walk. Life begins to take place. That is a beautiful picture of the appearance of grace. That the darkness was dispelled. Our moral and our spiritual darkness is dispelled when we see the grace of God. And it is our, our moral spiritual darkness is penetrated by the truth of God. Uh, to just illustrate that out of the Word of God, let me read Luke chapter 1 to you real quick here. Verses 77 through 79. He says, To give knowledge of salvation to His people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. So see, even the word of God, as Zechariah prophesied there about John the Baptist, speaking about how he would come and proclaim Jesus, he's using that picture of the sunrise as grace appearing. Okay? Another thing before we get into this working, I want to read John chapter 1, uh, verses 1 and then verses 14, 17 to you. Verse 1 says, I bet you got this memorized, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now listen to 14, 17. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as the only Son from the Father. Listen, full of grace and truth. Verse 15. And John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. Now listen to 16. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, and the truth came through Jesus Christ. So I say that because I want you to be real careful today about trying to separate Jesus Christ and grace. Because they are so closely related, even the scriptures talks about them in the same way, okay? Grace and Jesus. In fact, 
Very, very often, Paul would close the letter, May the grace of Christ be with you. Okay, so there's that cloaked connection between Christ and Jesus. Do you see the first way that grace works for you, though? It says, Grace hath appeared, bringing salvation. Okay, that is the first way that grace worked on the behalf of God's children. Bringing salvation for all people. Now, bringing, as I thought about that term, I thought about this. God took the initiative in providing salvation. You know, I know men have tried many ways, and men are still trying many ways, but God's means of salvation is the fact that He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to bring salvation. And dear brother and sister, if, if we think, surely you don't think this, but boy, have I talked to a lot of people that do. If you think in some way that you have done something to reach up to God and you have drawn Him down to yourself, you don't understand grace. Because that's not what grace is about. Grace brought salvation to you. Grace is God's favor reaching down to the undeserved. Bringing salvation. This is a neat word here, salvation. It doesn't just mean you're a new birth, okay? But it's also here, it is an adjective. And I'm not an English teacher, okay? And you know that if you've known me long. But an adjective is used to describe something. And what salvation is describing here is grace, okay? So I want you to have that connection all through these verses that it is about the, the salvation of grace. Now here's a term that we have to look at carefully. Bringing salvation for all people. Alright? Paul, as he writing Titus, is not making a statement about limited or unlimited atonement. Okay? He's not trying to build a case here for either one. But you and I, we clearly know. We know because of history. We know because of life. We know because of the Word of God that not every person is going to be saved. We do not believe in universalism, okay? So we do not believe in reading this term, bring salvation for all people, means that every person had their eye open and every person trusted Jesus Christ. So what do we do when we come to terms like this? Well, personally, I like to look at the context, okay? The context of this is chapter 2. And if you were to go back and read the first ten verses, if we'd been preaching or teaching through Titus, we would have hit this. But anyway, these first ten verses, it talks about older men, talks about older women, it talks about young women, it talks about younger men, and it talks about bond servants. Okay? So that would cover everybody. Okay? So what he is saying here, he's saying, listen, there's no group that is excluded from the grace of God. You can't say, well, because I'm a bondservant, the grace of God has not appeared to me. Or because I'm too young, the grace of God will not appear to me. Because he is saying, listen, it is irregardless of which group you find yourself in, okay? The grace of God has appeared. All right? It's very much like that verse we all love over in Revelation chapter 5, verse 9. Uh, See if I can find it here. It says, And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe, language, and people, and nation. So he's not saying there that every person in the tribe will be there, 
Every language will be there. Every language will be, but not every person of every language, not every people of a people, and not every person of a nation will be in heaven. But he's saying people from every one of those groups will be in heaven. Okay? And that, I believe, is what Paul is speaking to Titus here about, that no one can say the excuse. You know, I have talked to people who are unbelievers, and I, I don't know how I run into these situations. I guess just one way God blesses me, but... Uh, I'll, I'll get talking to people, and I had a person tell me one time, more than once, well, you know, I, I just don't believe that, that God is going to call me. I, I just don't believe I'm one of His and, and, and all this stuff. I said, listen, man, you're asking the wrong question. Some of you sitting here today, you, you may have never came to Christ because of your mind in some way that you have been excluded from the grace of God. Well, listen, what I want to say to you this morning is that the question is this. Do you know yourself to be a sinner? And do you know yourself to be in need of a Savior? And if you can answer that, I'll tell you what. God is dealing with you if you answer yes to those things, okay? Because He is the one who makes us, uh, brings conviction in our heart to convict us of sin. And He is the one who convinces us that Jesus Christ truly is the Son of God. Okay? So that is one of the wonders of grace. That grace has brought salvation to us. And no person can stand before God with an excuse that, Lord, you didn't want me. Because two times in the first two chapters of Romans, it says, man, you have no excuse. You have no excuse. Romans says that your mouth is shut saying there is no excuse before God, okay? So it's very important that you hear that truth about the grace of God is at work bringing salvation for all people. And regardless of what group you find yourself in, you cannot say that God has excluded this group. So I'm excluded because God has chosen people from every nation, every tribe, every language, every people, all right? So the second way that God is working on our behalf, and this is really the biggest part uh, of this text, and it is this. You probably already picked it up there. The grace of God is working on our behalf, training us. You ever thought about that? He is training us. It wasn't just about we're saved by grace through faith. Back there, whenever that happened to us in our new birth, the grace of God is at work training us teaching us, instructing us, guiding us, guiding our moral and spiritual nature, just like you would train a child in such a way that you wanted to influence their conscience and their will and their action. The grace of God is at work doing that. You know what the good news to me is when I think about that? Uh, the grace of God is training us. What the good, one of the good news, which means a lot in my life, regardless of the situation you find yourself in in life, whether you're going through an illness, whether you're going through a financial problem, whether it's a relationship problem, whether it's a job problem, man, we could go on and on, couldn't we? Regardless of the situation you find yourself in, if you are a child of God, the grace of God has not deserted you. Okay? And when we're going through things like that, we need to know that He is a God of grace. That's what we need. We need to know He is a God who is showing us undeserved favor in the midst of those situations. So He's training us. You know, I sometimes use uh, Good Friday and on Wednesday, sometimes I use the term means of grace. And 
And I'll explain it again just because I don't want you to misunderstand. When I say means of grace, I'm not talking like some do. You know, you got step one, step two, step three. I think there's seven steps. And these seven steps are means of grace. These are the things that get you ready that you can trust the Lord. Okay, that's not what I'm saying. I'm talking about means of grace being those things that God uses to bring His grace into our life to work with us. It's like I said the other day. It's like a light switch. light switch is not the electric, but it is the means of that electricity getting from there to here, okay? That's what I talk about when I use means of grace. And this is important for our sermon, okay? The, the first two means of grace is the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, okay? Uh, hearing the Word of God. I don't know if you're hearing me today or not. You, you may be hearing me physically, but I don't know if you're hearing in the sense that this Word is taking root in your soul and in your spirit, this Word, not mine so much. But when that happens, that is a means through which God in His grace works in our life. I think He uses the church. I think He uses fellowship, worship, prayer, the Lord's Supper. And we could probably name more. I, I even think He uses creation. I'll be honest with you. When, when you see creation and, and you see the wonder of God and, and you see the power of God and the glory of God, you know something begins to take part in your life. Because of what you're seeing. And I really believe with all my heart. That is the grace of God working in our heart. Revealing to us his glory in creation. Okay. So God does use those means. Now there's one other word I want to talk to you about training. It's the word us. He is training believers. Okay. If you're an unbeliever. He's not training you with grace. What he's doing in your life is trying to bring you to a conviction of your sinfulness and convince you of the reality and the truth of who Jesus is and what He has done. Okay? That's the grace part in your life. But if you are a believer, He is training you. Now, there's three tenses in which He is training us with grace. And this is, to me, to me personally, this was his part that was important to me, the three tenses. The first one, I just call the present tense, are if you're on a theological tense, I'll say sanctification. Sanctification, that is the time between our new birth when we became a believer by the grace of God and till that time when we see Jesus face to face and we behold Him even as He beholds us. All that life is progressive salvation. All, all this life is God working in our life with His grace and different means and shaping us and taking things away and adding things to us and trying to make us more and more like Jesus Christ, okay? So the grace of God is at work in that, trying to shape us and to conform us into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. So how is He doing that? How, how is grace training us to become more like Jesus. Well, he gives us several ways here in this text. I, I just use this because it's easy to remember. Say no. All right? He uses the word renounce. Just say no. That used to be a theme, right, for something. I don't remember what for, drugs or alcohol, I don't know. Just say no. You know, stop and think, Christian. How much heartache has been caused in your life and other people's life Simply because they did not say no. Yeah. No to something that was destructive to their families. No to something that would destroy their lives. They just didn't say no. And the grace of God is training us 
to say no because please understand, brothers and sisters, grace is not a license to sin. And because it is not a license to sin, it teaches us to say no. Do you see what he says to say no to here in our text? Of course, there's many other things in the scriptures. He says say no to ungodliness. Anything that is unlike God, anything that is unlike His character, anything that is unlike His ways, say no to it. Okay? And you're not left alone in yourself to do this. We have the Spirit of God. We have the grace of God. But He tells us we're supposed to say no to ungodliness. When, when you see opportunities to do something that is not Christ-like, that is not God-honoring, what should you do? Jump in and say, well, I can handle it. No, you're supposed to say no. You know, we can use so many illustrations for that, but we'll move on to saying no to ungodliness. What, what else do we say no to? Worldly passions. Those strong, sinful desires. Now, I know God has given us desires, and we need to be passionate people, but dear friends, it is not supposed to be satisfied as a worldly passion. And when we take our passions and we desires and we fulfill those from things which are ungodly it is a worldly passion dear child of God we're supposed to say no now doesn't this sound simple <laughs> you know maybe it's not sometimes but grace is training us to do that when the grace of God is at work in our life and we are, you know, the Bible talks about growing in grace and truth and we're growing that way. You know, it's not so much that we have this thing written on a piece of paper that says, just say no, just say no. It's the fact that the grace of God is at work within our lives and we look at those opportunities and we look at those temptations and we look at those situations that would be dishonoring to God and because of the grace of God at work within us, we simply say no. Now, does that mean that everything is negative about grace? Of course not. Because he's also teaching us to say yes. He uses the word live in our text. I like say yes, okay? It's easy to remember. <laughs> say yes in what way? Well, he says say yes to self-control. You know the best thing you can teach your... One of the best things you can teach your... I hate to say things but certainly like that sometimes, but one of the best things we can train and help our children come to understand is self-control. You realize that self-control is mentioned five times in the first two chapters of Titus. Four of those times is in chapter 2 when it is talking about character of elders in chapter 1. It's talking about character of old men, young men, older women, young women. Self-control. Why is self-control so important when Paul is speaking to Titus? It's this. Because so many sins in our life find root in the fact that we do not have any self-control. We get an opportunity to do something, and we look at that something, and we know it's a bit shady, but we know it's going to satisfy some desire in our life, and we don't stop and think, what saith the Lord? And because we have no self-control, we just jump right into it with both feet, and then we pay the price later. And when I say pay the price, I'm not saying about lose your salvation. I don't believe you can lose your salvation. But we can pay a price when we jump into sin. Disrupt our fellowship. See broken homes and broken lives. Folks, we need to have self-control. And like I say, one of the best things we can teach our kids and teach ourselves is self-control. To say no, to say yes. 
The next thing he says is to live upright. In some of your translations, it might use the word integrity there. Integrity, my definition of integrity is simply, a, it deals, it's about dealing with others, but it's being the same on Monday that you are on Sunday. It is being the same person with your buddies and your friends that you are with your family. Integrity, wholeness, completeness, okay? So we should say yes to integrity. We should want the Spirit of God to work in our life and work out of our lives integrity. Yes to godly lives. A godly life is a life that is in love and has reverence toward God. Do you love God? Do you have reverence toward God? Is your life quality such that it shows that you have reverence for the King of Kings? So see, we say the grace of God is teaching us to say no. The grace of God is teaching us to say yes. Now, why is this so important? Let me share just a few things I thought of. And I think you can share, thank some of yourself. We won't share them today, but you can thank some. One of the first, first things I thought of is the number of Christians that I have known in my lifetime that are just weary of trying to be Christ-like. They're just weary. They, they have tried, and they have tried, and they have fallen, they have failed, and they are just flat weary and tired, burned out. Some just ready to quit. You know why we do that? Because we think it's all about us and our abilities and our strength instead of understanding that the grace of God is at work within us. And I'll show you a verse here as we get in the message that really will clarify that for you. The other thing I would say about this is grace in no way frees us from our responsibility to strive, to run, to box, to go for a goal, okay? Grace does not make us spiritual couch potatoes, okay? We don't say, well, you know, I'm a child of God now, and the grace of God is with me, so I'm just going to flop over here, and whatever will be, will be. That's not grace at work, okay? So it doesn't mean spiritual laziness. We have to remember that. Let me read a couple of verses to you. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. He says, therefore, this is a verse most of you probably know, <clears throat> therefore, my beloved... As you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. I used to have a buddy and take that verse and just beat you to death with it, okay? I mean, that was his verse. But you know what? Verse 13. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. See, there's that pastor talked about that tension. Well, there is a tension in our sanctification as well. Is that tension between what we are supposed to be doing and what God is doing. And grace is training us in that tension. All right? So it's not a spiritual laziness. And it's not a just, I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps and get after it. Somewhere there is this tension. And, and I'm going to show you that verse here in a minute, okay? But anyway... Another thing, if we forget grace, if we just think life is all about saying no, and I hope I pronounced this word correctly. I've pronounced it twice today, probably different both times. But asceticism, did I get it right? Asceticism, you know what that means? That is the belief that a person can attain a high spiritual and moral state by self-denial. 
If we think our sanctification is all about saying no, that's exactly what we're saying. That in some way, by self-denial, I am going to reach that spiritual high point. Who did that? Martin Luther. He's a great example. Martin Luther would, would pray and cry and beg God and read the scriptures. And, and he would crawl up stone stairs on his hands and knees until his hands were bleeding and his knees were bleeding. And man, he was trying to say no to everything in the world. And one day he was reading in his little room and he was reading. He came across the term, for by grace you have been saved. That changed his whole life. That changed his whole future. Man, it changed Christianity in a lot of ways. Because the person came to a place where he understood it is much more than just saying no all the time. The other side of that, if we think our sanctification is just about saying yes all the time, if we're not careful, it will become legalism. We will think, I say yes to this, I say yes to that, I say yes to everything, and pretty soon we're depending upon the things we do instead of what God has done, and that is nothing but legalism. I'll tell you what, the, the world is full of both, and it's very easy to fall into both, and that's why we must always remember that the grace of God is at work in our sanctification. The last thing I'll mention about that, and then we'll move on. The last thing is this, because you know in this life we have pain, in this life, we have suffering. In this life, we have suffering. In this life, we cry. You know, all of us, if you've been around very long, that has been part of your life experience probably. And you know, as I thought about, in those times of life like that, what we need is a God of grace. We need a God of grace. We need His undeserved favor. We need him to understand our failures and our doubts and our fears and all that stuff. So he's training us. Second thing, second tense, glorification. Glorification is that time when we behold him in glory. Verse 13 in our text, see him face to face. Uh, the scripture here says, waiting for our blessed hope. Uh, we're not the best people at waiting. I know that, but still... In the scriptures, we are supposed to be people who wait with an expectancy, with an anticipation. That doesn't just mean, you know, sitting and looking up at the sky. It means we do, though, have an anticipation that Jesus Christ is going to come back. And because we have that anticipation, it makes a difference in our present life. We live differently because we know Jesus is going to come back. What are we waiting for? We're waiting for that blessed hope. That hope that imparts to God's children happiness, delight, wholeness, that stuff which is blessed. So what is this hope that imparts to God's children this blessedness? It is the appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. It is the second coming of Christ. You know, I was trying to put my microphone on back there when Bonnie was singing, but did you say something about that? The second coming of Christ in your song? Your special... I guess I was hearing things. Anyway, like I said, this is a struggle for me. But anyway, I, I, I thought when you were saying, I thought, well, that's neat. She's talking about Christ coming back, and here I am going to talk about it a little bit. But anyway, we thought about it. So anyway, so blessed. Why is it blessed? 
I mentioned new bodies, no more pain, no more death, no more sorrow, no more tears. God's children will receive rewards from our Heavenly Father. It is blessed. The main reason it is blessed, not because we'll have streets of gold and not because we'll have mansions, not all those things we love to sing about, and I love them as much as anybody, but the reason it is really blessed is because we see Him, Jesus. We see our Savior. We see the one who died for us. The one who left the glories of heaven, took on the form of a servant for the express purpose of dying on a cross. We will behold him face to face. We will, be, we will know him even as we are known. Think about that. That is blessedness. Now, I know, as you know, there's two destinies that's going to take place there. There's those who are going to spend eternity with God. There's those who are going to spend eternity in an eternal place of darkness and fire and gnashing of teeth and, and terrible, terrible stuff, you know, that, that I would not wish or desire for anyone. But anyone who does not trust Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, that will be their destiny. But we'll be blessed because we have that eternal destiny with Jesus Christ our great God and our Savior. So see what grace does. It, it produces within us this eagerness, this expectancy that God has promised us he's going to send his son. Okay? All the promises of God are in, yes in Christ Jesus and that's why they're grace promises. Okay? Well, let's look at the last thing. Last thing is past tense, redemption. If you look at verse 14 who gave himself for us, substitution. He willingly gave himself. No one took his life. He willingly laid down his life. He died to death. You and I should have suffered. He died in our place. Why? To redeem us. Now these servants in verse 9, we know exactly what that word means because it's a word from the slave market. It is the idea that there would be a slave sitting up there and, and someone would bid the highest bid and that slave would come down and his new owner would go over to him and he would take the chains off of his hands and he would take the chains off of his feet and he would say, you're a free man. No longer chains. That's redemption. And see, the scripture teaches that we are in the bondage of sin when we are not a child of God. And one of the things that grace does when we are saved is it takes those chains of bondage off of us. No longer do we have to yield the members of our body as instruments of sin, but now we can yield them as members of righteousness unto Christ our Savior. See, grace, it frees us, all right? Negative, from all lawlessness, all that stuff, which is rebellion against God, rebellion against His law, rebellion against His rule over us. Well, there's just this indwelling power of disobedience and, and the grace of God trains us and removes that and works that out of our life to make us more like Jesus Christ. I love the scriptures in Ephesians. I love those first four verses in chapter 2. I can't quote them, but man, it talks about how we're dead in sin. It, it talks about how we're under the power of Satan, the, the prince of this air, how we're, we're under this world and how we're under the flesh and, and we're just under all these things. And then in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5, man, it, it pops up on it and says, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ by grace. You have been saved. See, that's what's taking place in our redemption. 
God frees us. God gives us life as his child. It's positive in the fact that he's purifying for himself a people. That's the same word as cleanse. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. He's purifying us so that we might be a bride, that we will be his bride. He's washing us in the water and in the word. Uh, he's making us a people for his own possession. I know if you've got your Bible open, you can see I just went right through these. But he makes us a people for his own possession. First, or First Peter chapter 2, verse 9. You're a chosen race. He's talking to Christians. You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And because we are his possession, because he has purified for himself, we are to be zealous for good works. Now, we know what being zealous is. You, you look on TV and you see rights and all that stuff. They're zealous about something, aren't they? We are supposed to be zealous. We are supposed to be radical about good works. It's just we got to make sure that they're on the end over here, instead of thinking they're on the beginning of our salvation, they are a result, they are a produce of the grace of God at work in His children, okay? Now here's this verse that I've mentioned several times that I, that I love. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10, when we think about doing works and saying no and saying yes, 1 Corinthians 15, 10, By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, in other words, it wasn't in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Now listen, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. There's what we need to learn. That it is the grace of God at work within me. Man, if we could just learn that, there'd be no burnout. There'd be no quitting. There'd no be retiring in Christian work. Because it's the grace of God. Don't take me wrong when I use that term retiring, okay? But uh, we would always, maybe not always doing the same thing because we change and we have to do other things. But it's always ways in which we can serve our Lord. You know, the grace of God in Titus, the grace of God can bear on every aspect of our salvation, not just our new birth. The gospel of grace is about our past redemption, the grace of God is about our present being sanctified. The grace of God is about our glorification when we shall be changed and be even as he is. Now, don't, don't misunderstand me. I'm about done here, but the statement I want to make, this is a true statement if we understand it. Okay? We could say, I am saved by the grace of God. Talking about our redemption. Nothing's ever going to change that. We are saved. But we could also say, I am being saved by the grace of God. Sanctification. The grace of God working in our life, making us Christ-like. Doesn't change us reaching our final goal. It's just grace of God. And then we could say, I will be saved. Just like Hebrews says, He is coming for those, to, He is coming to save those who eagerly wait for Him. I am saved.
My, my salvation is complete. I have a new body. I've seen my Savior. I've got eternity. The grace of God. I love it. Let me, let me show one last thing if I can find it here. That felt like me, isn't it, Bonnie? There it is. You know what happens? You sit on the front seat, you always get talked to. <laughs> you know, I remember when we used to have pick a hymn nights. Probably some of you have had those. And we'd say, pick a hymn. You know, let's, let's do that for a little bit. And never would fail, we would pick Amazing Grace. And it never failed. We always knew the page number. I don't remember what it is now, but you still remember it? <laughs> It was a favorite song of ours. But what I want to do, is I want to ask us if we listen to what we sang. And I want to read the three, first three stanzas to you, okay? And you can sing if you want to, but I won't. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. That's redemption, isn't it? Past. T'was grace that taught my heart to fear. And grace my fears relieved. That could be present or past. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. Now listen. <clears throat> through many dangers, I, and you know this, through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Listen. Tis grace hath brought me safe thus far. The present working of grace in our life. We sing it every time we sing this song. The present working of grace. Now listen to the future. You remember the last line, the third stanza? And grace will lead me home. Past, present, future. We sing it all the time. And it's right here in Titus. Kenny's going to put up my last statement, and I'm done. Okay? My last statement is by Troy Spurgeon. I think we got it on the deal. I like Spurgeon, too. I've, I've liked him for years. Very last thing, Kenneth, I think. I can just read it. Oh, there you go. This is Spurgeon talking about his salvation. While others congratulate themselves, I have to lie humbly at Christ's cross and marvel that I am saved at all. There's grace. Okay. There's a person realizing that he has been saved by the undeserved favor of God. And dear friends, we need to learn, we need to remember that all our salvation it's all of grace. Our redemption, our sanctification, our glorification. The grace of God is at work. Okay? Let's bow together. Lord, I, I just, again, want to thank you so much for this church family. I thank you, Father, for the heart that they have for each other, the heart they have for the gospel. Lord, uh, people who are willing to go to the ends of the world here to take the gospel to a people who have never heard it. I just thank you so much for people like that, Father. Thank you for people who's willing to stay here and pray and give so individuals can do that type of work. Pray that we'll never lose that vision, Father, of spreading the gospel of grace. All these religions around the world who are leading people into darkness, trying to make them earn or deserve or, or work their way to heaven. Father, I, I just pray that you would help us by your grace to be an agent that you use in those situations to take the truth. 
that the gospel, the grace, hath appeared, bringing salvation. Lord, thank you for loving us. Thank you for pursuing us, for calling us. Thank you for saving us. In Jesus' precious name I pray.